chapter 5 this morning. I know what I forgot to mention. That's a congratulations to uh, Chris and Nicole Hyatt on the birth of their newest one. Uh, Marshall Riley Hyatt, uh, born 11 pounds, 3 ounces, 24 inches long in their home. And uh, everybody's doing well and we rejoice with them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In a devotional by David Jeremiah that I was reading, I ran across the following entry this past week. He said, pastors and ministers struggle with the temptation to get stressed out as much as any other Christian. Sometimes I can let the expectations of the members of my church become so many separate circles of responsibility that I begin to be stressed about meeting all those expectations. He writes, pastors are expected to visit everyone who goes to the hospital, counsel everyone who has a problem, go to see every new visitor and preach dynamic messages three or four times each week. 
Any pastor who tries to do all those things will find himself burned out in a matter of weeks, months or years. And many have. As I read that, I thought about the fact, beloved, that life is filled with expectations. That's true for me. That's true for you, isn't it? There are all kinds of expectations. There's expectations from other people. There are expectations we place upon ourselves. There's expectations from organizations, expectations from hither, thither and yon all over the place. And some of these expectations are realistic and some of them are not. Some of the expectations are right and some of them are not. But for good or bad, they still remain. There are all these expectations Placed upon us. All of us have expectations. And the truth of the matter is, beloved, we cannot meet every one of them. Have you ever heard these words? You can please some of the people all of the time. And you can please all of the people some of the time. But you cannot please all of the people all of the time. Have you found that to be true in your life with all the expectations that come on from family members and work and church and everywhere else? You see, saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else. So here's the question. What do we do? I mean, the expectations remain. They're there. What do we do with them? Do we just cast off every expectation and say, I don't care. I'm going to live solely for myself. And we live a solely, a totally self-centered, selfish and uh, self-focused life. Is that the answer? Well, no. I hope you agree with that. No, that's not the answer. Just to get totally self-focused and and self-centered. Well, then do we go to the opposite extreme? Do we just try to kill ourselves by meeting everybody's expectation? Every expectation that's laid upon us, we try to meet. Well, if you try to live that way, good luck. I'll just say this to you. If you seek to do that, I'll soon be getting a call to come visit you in probably one of three places. In the psychiatric ward, in the hospital, or at the funeral home. They're going to call me to come see you uh, at one of those places. So what do we do? Who do we please? Who do we say yes to? Who do we say no to? Well, I want to look in the Bible this morning and and, and get some help with that. Uh, And all of us are facing these expectations and all of us deal with them. So what does the Bible have to say about how to handle these issues in our life? And we're going to be here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to begin. And we'll be there a little bit. And then we'll go over to 1 Corinthians here in a little bit as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we think about uh, this idea of expectations and how to to live with these expectations. And and we ask the question, seek to answer it. Who are you seeking to please? Who are you seeking to please? Second Corinthians chapter five, beginning at verse one. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, that's what he's talking about here, being in our physical body, being at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes. 
well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And notice verse nine. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. Notice that last verse again. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. Now, don't close it up. We're going to continue reading in a moment. But here's the key, Christian, when it comes to the expectations, when it comes to the decision of who is it that I'm going to please? Who am I going to disappoint? Here's the key. We need to live for an audience of one. We need to live for an audience of one. And that one that I'm talking about today is not your spouse. And it's not your children. And it's not your family. And it's not your church. And it's not your boss. And it's not even yourself. That one, as you notice there in verse 9, is him. It says there, whether present or absent, whether we're here in the body or we're there with him, we're to live to be well-pleasing to him. We're to live our lives to please God. We're to live our lives to please Jesus. We're to live for Jesus. Now, let me go ahead and warn you, beloved. If you seek to do this, you're going to disappoint a lot of people in your life. You're going to disappoint a lot of other people because you're not going to meet their expectations. Now, some will rejoice with you. Some will be well pleased with you. And they're seeking to do the same thing in their life. But others will be very disappointed, if not totally upset with you. Now, I'll be honest with you today. I come to you speaking to you as a pastor, as your pastor. And so I'm going to come at it from that regard for just a second here. My job here is not to make sure that you're happy. My job here is not even to make sure that your needs are met. My job is to please God by obeying him and doing what he's told me to do. See, I told you, I've already disappointed a lot of people. Because you thought, well, I thought you were going to make me happy. No, that's not my primary job. I thought you were going to see my needs. No, that's not my job. By the way, I can't make you happy or meet your needs. Only Jesus can. Go to him. But here's what I'm saying here. I hope that you are happy. And I hope that your needs are met. But my job is to please God by obeying him and doing what he's told me to do. My primary concern must be pleasing God. I had a well-known successful pastor look at me one time. and We were talking, just he and I. As he was talking, he looked at me and he said these words. And it, it kind of caught me off guard. I mean, this man was successful, had reached a level in his profession, if you will. He said this to me, he says, if you don't do anything, they'll say you're lazy. He said, if you try to do something, they'll accuse you of trying to take over. That was the essence of what he said to me. And as he said it, I could tell that it was coming from a place uh, of experience in his own life and perhaps even hurt in his own life. This is what he had experienced. This whole topic of expectations is very difficult, whether it's the expectations of a pastor, whether it's your expectations with your family, your job. You know, one of the people that I feel the most sorry for is our president. Man, I mean, he, he, he can't beat every no matter what he does. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray for him. If we pray for him as half as much as we criticize him, I think things would be better, wouldn't it? 
You see, this whole topic of expectations is so difficult. Think about your own life for a moment. I've been talking about it as a pastor in your life. If you try to meet your boss's expectations, you get some co-workers upset with you. Well, you just think you're just a goody two-shoes trying to get on the boss. So they're upset with you. So then you say, well... I'm going to try to make the co-workers happy. And so you go about making the co-workers happy and your boss comes out and says, I need to see you in my office right away. So then you say, well, I better try to make the boss happy because he's the one that's in charge of making sure I get a paycheck. And then all of a sudden you get a phone call from your husband or wife and they're expecting you home. But the boss wants you to work late. So no matter what you do, somebody's going to be disappointed, right? Somebody's going to be upset with you. So what do you do? You seek God's will and live to please him. I I didn't finish David Jeremiah's devotion that day. Let me read the rest of it to you. It's short. He said, the only way I survive as a pastor of a large church is to know that the very best thing I can do for our church is to do the will of God. God loves each person in our church. And I know if I am following his plan and will for me, the congregation's needs will be met. I constantly have to bring. Listen, I constantly have to bring myself back under his authority and learn from him how to stay focused on his will for my life. And that's good counsel, not just for preachers, not just for pastors, but for all of us to constantly Come back and place ourselves under his authority and learn to be stay focused on his will for your life. And so you might end up disappointing your boss. You might end up disappointing your family at times. You might end up disappointing your co-workers. But here's the thing. We're not supposed to please all of them. Ultimately, right? We're supposed to live well-pleasing to one. We're supposed to live for an audience of one. But when you do. Go ahead and plan on it. You're not going to make a lot of other people happy. Listen, even other believers, even those whom you would think would be so happy that you've decided to make God's will and God's pleasure the goal of your life. I'm thinking of a man, a pastor, whom I thought greatly loved me. And desired to see me succeed in ministry. And this man has not spoken to me. And I guess over this has been at least 10 years. He's not spoken a word to me. I even reached out to him at one point. And all I received, you know what it was? Silence. Cut off. You know why? Because I followed God's will for my life. And he was disappointed and upset. He didn't agree. And so he's cut me off. Never spoken a word to me again. What do you do with that? What do you do when you have those unmet expectations of people are upset and people are angry and, and people maybe even cut you off from, from themselves. What do you do with that? Well, here's what you do, beloved. You come and you lay it at the foot of the cross and you give it to the Lord Jesus. And then, listen, and then after you've done that, you get up and you move on for him and you seek to please him and live your life for his honor 
and his glory. You live for an audience of one. Now, we do this because of our love for him, first of all, out of a heart of love. We love him only because he first loved us. And when we realize what he did for us on the cross, how could we do anything else but live to please him and have as our goal his pleasure? To have as our goal, His desire in our life. We do it out of a heart of love, no doubt, but we also do it because we realize there's a day coming when we're going to stand before Him and give an account of our life. Now go back to the passage we just read in verse 9. These words, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, And the very next verse has the word there at the beginning for. So there's a connection here, is there not? We want to live well pleasing to him for. Look at verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known to your consciences. Now, he mentions here the judgment seat of Christ. Now, please understand this. He's talking to believers in this passage. Verse five says, now, he who has prepared us this for this very thing is God, who's also given us the spirit as a guarantee. These are believers he's talking to. This passage is to believers. And when he says that all of us are going to appear and each one of us is going to appear, he's talking about Christians. Every Christian is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. As you study scripture, we understand this will take place after the rapture of the church. That's what we're looking for today. The Lord to come and catch us up, to take us away, to be with him. The rapture. And it only includes believers. Please understand that. Only believers. Now, what's going to be determined at the judgment seat of Christ is not, N-O-T, is not our salvation. Our salvation is settled the moment we repent of our sin and place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's settled forever. The Bible says if you believe, you have what kind of life? Eternal life. Everlasting life. So the judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with our eternal destiny, nothing to do with our salvation, if you will. What's going to be reviewed here, the Bible says, are the things done in our body. And it says not only the good things, but also the bad things. Our lives, our works are going to be tested here. Uh, it says there very clearly. It says there in verse 10, we must all appear, that is all Christians, before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one. So you're going to stand there individually. Mom and dad are not standing with you. Grandma and grandpa, the preacher, because they're all going to stand themselves. They know the Lord. Each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, what she has done, whether good or bad. Our lives, our works are going to be put to the test. And we learn more about that in first Corinthians. Would you turn back to first Corinthians chapter three? We find more about this idea of the judgment seat of Christ. First Corinthians chapter three. We'll pick up our reading at verse 11 as we think about the judgment seat of Christ. We find a picture of what's going to happen. First Corinthians chapter three, beginning at verse 11. The Bible says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, that is the Lord Jesus 
If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Like the King James says stubble. Now notice verse 13. Each one's work will become clear for the day. The judgment seat of Christ will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now remember, the judgment seat of Christ, only believers. It's not about salvation. It's about rewards and works. So let's notice real quick as we look at this passage. First of all, the materials that we're building with. There are six things mentioned in verse 12 we can build with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay and straw or stubble. It's interesting that they're listed that way, because as I understand it, for the most part, they're listed from the greatest to the least in value. Did you notice that gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw? And really, we find here two groups. Given the option, you take the first group, wouldn't you? I mean, in, in, in our life today, would you rather have gold, silver and precious stones or wood, hay and stubble? We take the first group. So there's two groups here. There's the gold, silver, precious stones, the wood, hay and straw. They were called good and bad in the other passage we read. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10. So here's what it's saying here. As we're living our lives, laboring for the Lord, we're using these various materials to build on that foundation, which is the Lord Jesus. And I think all of us probably use all of these materials at one time or another. Sometimes we're building with gold, sometimes precious stone. Sometimes we're honest, we're building with wood and hay and stubble. Now, the gold, the silver and the precious stones, group one, those would be those times that we labored for the Lord. We lived for the Lord with right motives and right desires. And we lived our life for God and his glory. And the things we did, we did out of a heart of love for him. Whatever it was. And by the way, don't get confused here. This is not just talking about church things or church stuff. The Bible says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. There's not a secular and sacred Christian. Your whole life is sacred. Your whole life's to be lived for the Lord. So when you're living life, you're, you're, you're doing your job at work. You're raising your kids. You're doing all these things. When you do it with the right motive, the right heart, the right desires for God's glory, you're building, I believe, with the gold, the silver and the precious stones. But then you have the wood, the hay and the straw. And those would be those times we're living life and we've labored with the wrong motives, the wrong desires. Those times where we have kind of stepped up and taken the glory for ourselves. So if I understand this passage correctly, that means we could do the exact same thing ten times. The exact same thing. And yet five of those times we could be building with group one. Gold, silver, precious stones. But maybe the other five, we could be building with wood, hay and stubble. What makes the difference? How is it I'm doing the exact same thing ten times, the same work, but different evaluations? Is it not the motive behind the work? Is it not who it is that we're actually doing it for? Is it not who is it that we're seeking to honor and glorify and exalt? Who are we seeking to please? So let's say Sunday school teachers, you can teach the same class 10 Sundays. 
Same class, same group. You go into the lesson, different lessons, but it's all scriptural truth. You're teaching it. And you realize one Sunday you can be using good material. And the next Sunday you can be using bad. I'm not talking about the curriculum. I'm talking about what you're teaching, the truth. I'm talking about your building, your life, your labors. Why? Because you might come in the one Sunday. Man, you're fired up and you're honored and glorifying the Lord. You're exalting Him and you're praising Him and, and you're, 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 your heart is there and your heart of love and you're serving. Then the next Sunday you come in, if you're honest, you don't even want to be there. And you're sick of these people. You didn't enjoy the lesson. And you can go through the motions. You can teach the class. But why? And if you're honest, you say, you know what? I constructed part of my building there with wood, hay, and stubble. You see, as we're living the Christian life, day in and day out, we're busy building. We're using these various materials, but there's coming a day when the building inspector is going to come and examine our work. I know we've got some building inspectors here. I imagine the guys could probably tell me there are some ways that people can try to cover up and hide and and fudge and just try to get by. But listen, there'll be none of that on this day, because it says here in verse 13, each one's work will become clear. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each man's work, what sort it is. So we find the materials we're building with, but then we find that the fact that the master will examine our work. The picture here is a fire. We're standing before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you take those two groups of materials, the good and the bad, and you expose them to fire. What's going to happen? You have, good, you have gold, silver, precious stones on this side. You have wood, hay, and stubble. And you put fire under each one of them. What's going to happen? Some are going to remain, and the other's going to burn. Jesus is going to examine our lives for what they really are, what they really were. And the Bible says if your work endures the fire, now I believe all of us build with all these different materials. So some's going to burn. But let's say that your building remains. You've labored faithfully for the Lord. It says in verse 14 if your work endures the fire, what's going to happen? You're going to get a reward. You're going to get a reward. The Bible talks about rewards and crowns and things that we can earn for our service to the Lord. And I believe that we as believers standing for the Lord Jesus, know we're going to do. We're not going to say, well, look at my crown. No, we're going to say thou art worthy. You're going to cast it at his feet. Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and dominion and praise. You're going to cast those things at his feet. But the Bible very clearly says in verse 15, what happens if your work Burns up. It says that you suffer loss. Hmm. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now remember, this is not talking about salvation. If you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you're a believer. It's talking about your reward, your life. And it says that if your works burn up, you're going to suffer loss. I remember studying this years and years ago. And I remember it being painted for me this way. It's kind of like a picture of a person escaping a burning 
from a burning house. Picture in your mind's eye a person, they're fleeing out of their house, it's burning down. They escape with their life. But everything else is burned up. That's the picture here. And, And it says here that they're going to suffer loss. It seems real clear to me as I study this passage that there will be sorrow at the judgment seat of Christ. The sorrow of regret. Imagine standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for you. He still bears in his body the marks. We sang about it earlier. The marks in his body of where he was nailed to the cross. And you stand before him and you're saved. You're a child of God. You're going to spend eternity with him. But you've wasted your life here in so many ways. And you stand before the or maybe you lay before the Lord Jesus Christ in regret and sorrow that you wasted your life here. You were sleeping when you should have been praying. You were silent when you should have spoken up for him. You you turned a blind eye and a deaf ear when you should have been the hands and feet of Jesus. You you hoarded the gifts that he gave to you instead of spending them in his service. Your career was lived for yourself and your honor and your glory instead of his. And now you're at a point where it's too late. It's too late. Now, beloved, listen, he will remove the sorrow the Bible, you know, he'll wipe all tears from our eyes. But for a time, ever how long it will be, for a brief time, I believe there's a possibility we can stand before our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and stand there filled with sorrow and regret that we did not build with the right material. That we did not live for an audience of one. To stand and realize that you lived your life here in the body, meeting the wrong expectations. I've got to keep up with the Joneses. I've got to go with this group. I've got to get approval over here and over there and over yonder. I've got them to like me. I want them to know that I'm in their group. Listen, imagine you're standing there and you realize I lived for the wrong audience. I should have lived. For an audience of one. Now here's the takeaway, beloved. Here's the takeaway. When it comes to the judgment seat of Christ. Listen. What happens then. Is being decided here and now. What happens then is being decided here and now. See, he's not changing what we've done. He's not going to say, well, let's go back in time and correct it. No, 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 no. He's not changing what we've done. He's testing what we've done. And he's looking at our life and it's too late now. We can't go back. We we can't change those things. We can't push the rewind button. We're standing there before the Lord Jesus Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. We're saved. We have eternal life. But we watch our whole earthly life, if you will, burn up. Nothing to show. No, no crowns to cast at Jesus' feet. The old saying is worth repeating. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Does that not fit with this passage? Now, if it's true 
that what happens then at the judgment seat of Christ is being decided here and now. Here's the question. What are you doing here and now? What are you doing? What are you building with? Who are you living for? Who are you seeking to please? Whose expectations are you seeking to honor? Be honest about it. Be honest about it. You know the answer to that question. And he knows. And beloved, there'll be no hiding. The day will reveal it. And so I say to all of us today, live for an audience of one. Live your life, all of your life, for the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never, ever regret it. Let's pray. And while your head's bowed and your eyes are closed before I pray. If you're going to live for him, you must first know him. Do you know that you're a child of God? Do you know you're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ? Or are we going to find you at the great white throne judgment? Where do the dead, great and small, stand to be judged according to their lives and then cast into the lake of fire forever and ever? That's the starting point. If you're going to live to please the Lord, you must first know him. Has there ever been a point in your life where you've received the Lord Jesus, repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If not, today's the day. This is the hour to get that settled. Do it today. Christian, be honest today. This message is for us, for the majority of it. Who are you living for? Who are you seeking to please? Whose expectations reign supreme in your life? What will Jesus see at the judgment seat? You have time. The Lord's granted you this moment, this hour. Maybe some great correction needs to go on in your life. And you need to say, you know what? I'm going to live my life. God helping me for an audience of one. I'm going to seek to live well pleasing to him. And him alone. And I'm going to leave whatever comes of that to him. And others that are disappointed and others that get mad and others get angry. I'm going to graciously, graciously handle their disappointment. But I'm just going to let them know, listen. I'm living for the Lord. And I want to please him above all else. What's God the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Father, we realize that we are making decisions day in and day out that will determine what will happen that day. I thank you that we don't have to labor for our salvation. I thank you that though some will suffer loss of the judgment seat of Christ, there'll never be a loss of salvation. There'll never be a loss of eternal life. That's settled once and for all when we bow at the foot of the cross. Father, if anybody here does not have that assurance of eternal life today, I pray that you bring them in these closing moments to receive Christ. Then, Lord, for those of us who know you, help us to be honest. Help us to allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger in our life, put his finger on anything that is being constructed with wood and hay and stubble. Anything that's going to burn up. 
and not really count. Anything that would cause us to stand there in regret and shame before the Lord Jesus. Lord, we need your help. We need your enablement to be building with good material for your honor and your glory. Bless this invitation, I pray. Use it. Work in lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 519. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be when with rapture I behold him? Think about that. Face to face, what will it be? You need to be saved today. I would invite you to come. I'd love to put you with someone who would share Christ with you. If you want to come and pray today, maybe commit your life with God's help to live from this moment on for an audience of one. Would you come as we stand and sing 519 face to face with Christ my Savior?